Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of the Islands in Savannah, Georgia with Pastor Brooks Kale. Our prayer is that this sermon will be a blessing to you and it will encourage you in your walk with Christ. If you have any questions or would like more information about our church, please log on to www.fbcislands.com. Now enjoy this week's sermon. Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew, chapter 26, Matthew 26, and uh, while you're turning there to Matthew 26, let me just give you a little bit of a reminder of what's going on uh, this coming Easter, or this coming weekend for our Easter services. Um, A few years ago, we added an extra service to our Easter weekend lineup just because of the sheer numbers of people that come. Typically, we'll have twice as many people, if not a little bit more, uh, on uh, Easter weekend, on Easter Sunday, as we will any other Sunday, and so... um, We've got three services this Easter weekend, one on Saturday night at 6 o'clock, which is oftentimes one of the most full that we'll have. And so Saturday night, 6 o'clock, and then on Sunday morning at our regular times, 9 o'clock and 1045 as well. So uh, in addition to that, we've also got, uh, of course, preschool ministry for all three services, children's ministry as well. And in our children's uh, service as well, Kid Life Worship upstairs, uh, meeting all three of those particular service times as well, they're going to have different themed out egg hunts as well as part of that. So kindergarten through fifth grade uh, is going to have a real, uh, just a great time up there as uh, Pastor Jeremy and the, uh, the leaders up there are going to be sharing the message of the gospel as well as just having a blast up there. So really invite people to come. This is the wide open weekend. I mean, people are going to be choosing what church to go through many, many more than on any other given Sunday. And we would love for them to come here because they're going to be able to hear the gospel and uh, just really, really pray that God will do great things through the course of this weekend. So begin to invite people. Uh, don't just assume that they're going to just go. I mean, not everyone will. They're waiting for an invitation as well. And so invite folks, pray for them, and uh, and plan to uh, plan to be here with them as well. Now, one thing we're doing in addition to this, you can kind of see on the overhead, uh, is uh, uh, kind of a social media uh, emphasis as well. Hashtag My Redemption Story FBCI. The theme is going to be beginning next Sunday is a brand new sermon series. It's called My Redemption Story. And so for a few weeks, we're going to kind of trace out that theme beginning with Easter Sunday, Easter weekend. But in advance of that, I mean, we would love to hear stories because everybody's story is different of how they came into a relationship with Christ, how God redeemed them, how God brought them back to himself. And uh, everyone's story is unique and everyone's story is powerful. And you may think, hey, you know, I, I didn't, you know, uh, you know, rob a store and, uh, you know, do 20 years of prison time and uh, do all that kind of stuff and have this dramatic story you know, of how God saved me and you know, I don't have that. Your story is still equally dramatic and equally as powerful because you know anyone who's brought from death to life, man, I'm telling you that story is dramatic and so it's worth telling. So we want to give you an opportunity to do that. So on social media platforms, uh, do that this week. We really encourage you to do that to get your story out there as salt and light, putting Christ on display and uh, helping people to see the difference that Christ makes, not just because they hear somebody like me talk about it on an Easter weekend, not just because they read about it in a book like the Bible, but because they can hear the story from someone they know, that being you. And so tell your story. Go ahead and post it this week. We'd love to see many, many stories that put Christ on display and use this particular tagline as well, the hashtag My Redemption Story FBCI. So that's my shameless plug. And uh, for the rest of the week, you're the shameless plug now, right? So you go and encourage people to come and to be a part of what God is doing and what he wants to do in their lives as well on Easter Sunday. All right, so how many of you, whenever you were a kid, you can still remember, and you kind of shudder just a little bit when you think about this, but you can still remember one of your parents, your mom or your dad, or maybe your grandparent, 
looking you in the eyes, a little kid, oftentimes after you just did something wrong, and they say, did you hear me? Right? Do you remember that? Does that just put little shivers down your spine a little bit? Did you hear me? Right? Maybe you as a parent maybe have done that, or you as a grandparent have said that as well. And it's often associated with a, with a bad move right? or a bad choice, or it appears as though someone's not really completely connected. And we often use that phrase, do, do you hear me? And we understand that there is a difference between hearing with our ears and hearing with our minds and with our hearts. You know, for all of us here this morning, I think it would be safe to say that there have been times when we felt like we have really heard from God. We've heard what he desires for us. We've heard him in his word. We've sensed him speaking to some specific area of our lives. But then I think we would all also say as Christians uh, that there have been times where we may have heard him, right? We heard a preacher. We read the Bible. We, we felt like we knew what God wanted for us, but we didn't really hear him. We didn't hear him down deep where it changes our actions, where it changes our attitudes. And even though we're accustomed to that in life, right, where we sometimes hear with our ears but not beyond that, we don't understand often that if we move to that place spiritually, it can be very, very dangerous. You see, it's whenever we become so familiar with God. We may even be in church every Sunday. We may read our Bibles and have our quiet times consistently. But we are prone, aren't we, to move to a place to where we don't really hear God the way he wants us to. Uh, we, we, we understand the basics of Scripture, and, and again, we kind of know the, uh, generally what church is all about, and we come often. However, we are all prone, if we're not careful, to come to a place in our walks with God to where we are no longer connected the way we used to be, where we have become disconnected. And it's almost as though we're operating in a fog where it seems as though God in some ways is a million miles away. We hear him, right? We know he's there. We know his word. We know what his Bible says. We, we, we even memorize verses and those kind of things. We know where to say amen. We know where to lift our hands. We know where to re- really get into it with a certain choir song, right? But in a sense, spiritually, maybe we're not hearing him the way we used to. That could be for a variety of reasons. And what I want us to look at this morning is a passage out of Scripture in Matthew chapter 26 that is really one of the key passages of Scripture that ties into Easter. Even though there's no mention of the cross specifically, we find this is one of the main, to me, one of the most, most important, one of the main passages that deals with the whole concept of, uh, of Easter and what Jesus would ultimately do for us on the cross. And yet wrapped up in this passage that we'll look at here, Matthew chapter 26, is also a picture of what it looks like when we sometimes hear God, but we don't really hear him the way we used to. And so let's go ahead and begin to trace that through specifically here. The book of Matthew chapter 26, let me give you the context just a little bit. The context here, Matthew 26, is on the heels of the cross and the crucifixion of Christ. This is going to be just a matter of hours leading up to the cross where Jesus is going to be with 11 of his disciples. He's already celebrated the Lord's Supper with them. He's already had conversation with them. We looked at some of that last week in the book of John, chapters 13 and 14. And, uh, and, and here in this particular context, he is walking with his disciples and he has arrived at a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's there in the Garden of Gethsemane, just hours before the cross, just hours before his crucifixion, that we find he secures the victory for us in many ways, but he also enables us to see here in the pages of Scripture how prone we can be to sometimes not hear God the way that we used to, to miss the very things that he wants us to see. And so let's go ahead and jump in here. Matthew chapter 26, knowing the context here, let's begin in Matthew 26 
Diving in kind of midway through this chapter, uh, beginning ultimately here in verse 36. So a lengthy passage of scripture. Jump in with me, Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36. So here's what Matthew writes for us. He says, then Jesus came with them, with his disciples. He's got 11 of them with him. The one, Judas Iscariot, has already been sort of set loose to ultimately go do what he's going to do. He's going to betray Christ here in this garden. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, let me just pause there and give a little, again, a little bit of context. The Garden of Gethsemane, we read of fairly often in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels. And this would have been a place where Jesus was, uh, uh, was very accustomed to going to, to spend time with the Father. It was, it was a place where he would often retreat to pray. The Garden of Gethsemane was just that. John tells us it was a garden. But it was more than likely an olive grove. It, it's very title in the Greek language points to that fact. It was likely an olive grove. In fact, it was um, not uncommon for some of the wealthy in Jerusalem to, uh, to have olive groves that... that that would be somewhat their property. They would have gardens that would be planted there. Jesus, more than likely here, would have exited from the east side of the city. He would have crossed over the Kidron Valley, climbed a, you know, just, just a, a brief distance with his disciples up into the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where all this is unfolding. When he arrives there, uh, verse 36 tells us that he has his disciples and he tells them to stay in one specific spot while he goes a little bit further and prays. Verse 37, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. This would be James and John. They were off in his inner circle out of the, uh, out of the disciples. He took them a bit further and he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. All right, so that's the command. They heard him say it. Verse 39, and he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men couldn't keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed saying, my father, if this cannot pass away, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came, and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now this passage of Scripture shows both the divinity and the humanity of Christ, but it also shows the obvious weaknesses of us as people as well. This would have been a very crucial point in all of the details surrounding the crucifixion because in a lot of ways, this is where the victory would have ultimately been accomplished. In fact, if you look back in verse 39 uh, specifically, you see what Jesus said. Look at what he says here in verse 39. It says, he went a little beyond them. He fell on his face. He prayed, saying, my father, this is his prayer, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, let me just pause there for a second. Because, again, Jesus, when he walked, well, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. Now, the divine part of him, obviously, 100% God, understood the purpose for which he came. It understood everything that was going to be unfolding. And yet, the human side of Jesus, when he walked this earth, he walked in subjection, in surrender under the authority of the Father. 
And what he's praying here is he knows what it's going to cost him whenever he pays for the sins of mankind. He knows the beating that he will take. He knows the physical pain that he will endure. He knows exactly what the cross will, will, will encompass. He knows the, the, uh, the price that he will pay physically. He understands that he will be giving his life in death for us. However, he also understood what we many times overlook, and that is the fact that he would endure separation from the Father. And here's why. Whenever we sin, we have to understand that sin separates us from God. It is the very basic component of the message of the gospel. Sin separates. We don't have to learn how to sin. It is innate within us, right? You don't have to teach a two-year-old how to do wrong. You have to teach them how to do right, okay? You don't have to teach them. Now, if you want that toy, just say mine and take it from the other child with you at preschool, all right? You don't have to teach that kind of stuff. It is innate. Why? Because we have a sin nature. Jesus did not, however. And so when he died on the cross, he died not for his sins. He was sinless. He died for our sins. And when he bore our sins upon himself, that resulted in separation from the father. That's why he would cry out on the cross, father, father, why have you forsaken me? It would be because he would suffer the penalty, he would suffer the price, the separation for our sins in our place as our substitute. And so Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying to the Father, and we can bring that slide up again, and he prays in verse 39, if there be any other way, right, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, if there is any other way to secure the salvation of mankind, right, I'm willing to do that. And yet, knowing what it would cost him, he in many ways secured the victory of our salvation. He would still need to go to the cross to die as our sacrifice. But at the end of verse 39, when he would pray, and yet not my will, but your will be done. You know, he set an example for us of what discipleship looks like. Because really, at the very heart of walking with God, in many ways, for us as believers, it is a struggle of the will, isn't it? Right? It is us choosing to put ourselves under the authority, in subjection to the authority of God. And it is a struggle of the will. And all over this room, we all understand that there are times where we mean well and we want to do well, and yet when it comes down to the point of temptation, it is a struggle of the will, and we choose ultimately as an act of our will to disobey God, to walk away from him in a variety of ways as believers even. And yet Jesus paints for us the picture of what discipleship looks like. It is a surrender of the will a following of the purpose and the plan and the very person of God himself. So you contrast all that then ultimately with the disciples. As Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prays, he is demonstrating for us what what surrender looks like. And yet it's up against the backdrop of these disciples, 11 of whom were there at that spot at that very time, who ultimately heard him, but they didn't hear him. They heard Jesus say, stay awake, pray. They heard him say that with their own ears three different occasions, and yet their actions demonstrate that even though they heard him, they didn't hear him with their mind. They didn't hear him with their heart. And I would be willing to say that for for us this morning, just those of us that are here today, this is a pretty decent crowd, not full as it is sometimes, a pretty decent crowd. I I, I I would be willing to say that for many of us, we understand what it's like to be in a place where we hear him, but we don't really hear him the way we used to.
Maybe for you there are, there are certain reasons why that's happened. Maybe once you walked so closely with God as a believer, you were, you were tight with him. You had a hunger for him. You opened his word because he didn't have to, right? You just, you wanted, you were thirsty, and you were hungry to hear more about God. I had somebody mention at the men's breakfast uh, last Saturday. They mentioned somebody by name, and they said, you know, that person made the comment. They said, you know, they didn't used to want to read the Bible, didn't really understand it. But uh, here, after they've been here, and God's been doing work in their life, it says they can't get enough of it, right? And you remember maybe for you what it was like when you when you couldn't get close enough to God but somewhere along the way there was a drift that began to take place maybe for you that drift was uh, related to a hardship that you went through maybe for you it was a difficulty that you went through maybe it was a valley that came in your life maybe it was a diagnosis that you didn't understand and you became angry at God maybe you lost a loved one or maybe you went through a difficult season in your life maybe there was difficulty in your family maybe with your children or your grandkids or maybe for you it was a marital issue or a financial issue the bottom dropped out and you began to wonder how on earth could this happen because I'm a child of God and I believe in him and I trusted my life to Christ and even though you didn't have the courage to shake your fist at God. On the inside, you kind of did, right? And it was that particular hardship in your life that ultimately resulted in you beginning to drift. You know, I've been to the beach many, many times here, being from Savannah, and I'm sure for many of you, you have as well. And you probably can relate to, you know, putting your chair down in the sand, and then you go out, you know, and you begin to to, uh, go in the water, you swim a little bit, or you play with your kids, or Whatever you do out there, and you're just sort of splashing around, and 15, 20 minutes later, you, you kind of lift your head up, and somebody moved your chair, right? Because it's not where you left it. Somebody's, somebody's messing with my stuff, and they're going to eat my crackers, and they're going to drink all my stuff, and uh, you know what's going on here? And then you realize that nobody touched your chair, nobody moved your chair, that slowly over time, 15, 20, 25 minutes, you began to drift And as you began to drift, you didn't even realize that that current just pulled you a little further from home, pulled you further from from where you planted yourself, further from where you used to be. And maybe for you, it was a hardship that came in your life. And that difficulty that you have been through still has residual, right? There's still still some uh, side effects to it. And part of that side effect is that you feel so far from God. And the very God who, who, uh, who we should be running to to help us through those difficulties, the very God who has a way out through the other side, the, the very God who wants to give us joy that's not dependent on our circumstances is the very God you've been stiff-arming ever since then, ever since that, that husband left, ever since that, that child went down a different path and your heart's been broken, ever since the bottom fell out, ever since you lost your job, right? You've been angry and you've been bitter. And as one told me between services today with tears in his eyes, and basically saying, this is exactly where I've been. You, have, you haven't felt that closeness to God that you once did. You've drifted. You still hear him. You still go to church and you still read the Bible and you still know the words of the songs. And you still hum Amazing Grace, right? You've got all you know, different songs you like. You sing them. And you hear him, but you don't, you don't hear him like you used to. Maybe it wasn't a hardship for you. Maybe for you it's, it's a sin. You know, before we come to Christ, the issue is sin in general, S-I-N. It's a sin problem, sin debt. You know, we have this sin debt hanging over us. It's just sin in general. We live our lives in our own way. The wages of that sin, Scripture tells us, is death, separation from God, physical death, eternal death, unless it's paid for. And yet when we come to Jesus and we place our faith in Christ, that sin problem is dealt with. The issue then is no longer sin in general for us. The issue then is sin, plural, sins, S-I-N-S. 
those sins still crop up in the life of the Christian. If, if you came to Christ and placed your faith in Jesus and you thought it was going to get easier once you did that, you probably learned pretty quickly that it didn't get necessarily easier. The same devil lives in the same world and still knows your address, still knows how to tempt you, still knows your weaknesses. You still got the flesh on the inside that likes to rear its ugly head, right, and do things your way. You know, my biggest battle in walking a walk that honors God is Brooks. It's me. Not just the world I live in. It's me. And for us, the issue after we come to Christ is not the sin issue that's paid for once and for all. It's those individual sins. And those individual sins have a consequence. You know, I kind of like it to my relationship with my wife, Susie, that uh, when I committed my life to her, we began a relationship as a husband and wife. Now, that relationship is secure. It, it's, it's, it's in place. And yet, there are times where I can still say things that may hurt her or offend her. I can still let her down. I can still do things that can make life harder for her instead of easier for her. I can still sin against her. And yet, even though that's not going to break the relationship that we have, it's going to affect our fellowship when that happens unless it's dealt with. And it's the same for us and God. You know, maybe for you, you've drifted from God in these recent days or maybe in these recent months or maybe even for a few years. And as you've drifted from God, it's not because of a hardship that you went through, but for you it's been a series of choices maybe that you've made where you've taken a step away from him and you've sort of taken ownership of your life again. And even though you knew he wasn't wanting you to go this direction, you went that direction anyway. And even though he, you knew he wasn't wanting you to do this, you did this anyway. And those little sins begin to mount up. And what it does is, is it doesn't steal our relationship. We don't have to come back to God and say, oh, God, forgive me and save me all over again. You know, once, once we're in relationship with him, he takes that seriously enough to keep it in place. However, when those sins continue, it hurts our fellowship. It damages our fellowship with him deeply to the point to where we lift our head up and somebody, somebody moved God. But he didn't move at all. Drift. You know, for these disciples, they heard him that day. Stay awake and pray, stay awake and pray, stay awake and pray. But they didn't hear. You know, I wonder if for those disciples, if they weren't just a little bit too comfortable, maybe with Jesus. I mean, by this point, three and a half years of ministry together, how many times had he told them before to pray? Probably at least a few. You know, there are times for us at times, and this may be the largest group here, sometimes maybe we get so comfortable with God that we quit listening for him at all. Go to church, check the box. Go to small group, grow group, Sunday school, whatever you want to call it, check the box. Money in the plate, check the box. Come back for dive on Sunday night, check the box. Help serve on Wednesday night, check the box. And what we assume is, is that because I'm so comfortable with God, that my walk with him must be close. But the thing is, what happens is, is that when we become comfortable with him in that way, if we're not careful, we can become disengaged from him in a way we never saw coming. We treat him like, a, like an item on our to-do list, not like a God to be pursued and walked with in relationship. So these disciples have disengaged here. The very moment of crisis they hear the words of Jesus, but they don't really hear the words of Christ. At the close of this particular passage, what happens next, and many of you know this very, very well, is that ultimately the, uh, the authorities would come. Jesus would be betrayed with a kiss by Judas Iscariot. He would be arrested. 
for no good reason because he had never committed even one sin. He would go through a series of trials, six to be, to be exact. Many of those would be illegal in nature. And ultimately, Jesus, in a matter of hours, after this setting, after this passage we just read in that setting, would be crucified for our sins. Again, you look back and you think of these disciples. How could they not hear him? How could they not sense the magnitude of this particular moment? How could they miss this? And yet they had grown dull of hearing, in a sense, at the most important level in the mind and in the heart. And so I had to ask myself as I was preparing this message and I kind of decided to, to, to chase this just a little bit, this particular track. I began to think through what are ways that, that we become dull of hearing? Not hearing... The, the superficial, not, not hearing the verses and hearing the songs and those kind of things, and feeling like we're in a connection with God. But how do we come to a place ultimately where we begin to just miss the voice of God in our lives? Where do we come? How do we come to a place to where we disconnect from him? What are some reasons that we disconnect? And so let me just give you a handful, just a few this morning. And see perhaps if maybe this doesn't identify you. One reason that we sometimes come to a place to where we don't hear God the way we once did. One way we come to a place where we don't walk with him the way we once did is because of weariness. We get weary. You know, in a sense, this may have been the issue for these disciples, possibly. And when I say being weary, I don't mean we get tired because we got to go to church again. Uh, my, my middle child, Drew... He's nine now. When he was really little, uh, I would ask him at times, I'd say, Drew, do you ever want to be a pastor? He would say, no. Right? He's like, all right, this is great. Pass it on the family, family line here. Uh, I'd say, why not? He would say, two services. Yeah. It's like two whole services. He was like four or whatever. And uh, I need to ask him again if I'm willing to get my heart hurt, I guess. But, um, you know, so I'm not talking about weariness that comes from just going to church. I'm not talking about that. Yeah, this should be the pep rally. What I'm talking about is the weariness that comes from living out our faith in a world that doesn't always embrace it. A weariness that comes from walking the walk, not just talking the talk, in a world that is getting increasingly more opposed to who God is. A weariness that comes from seeking to put Christ on display and to live a life of honor when it seems as though all around us, this world, and even some within the church itself are calling us to compromise and to lower the bar. It's that kind of weariness that comes that sometimes, if we're not careful, to keep our tank filled. And that is where church comes in. If we try to do this alone and walk with God as a lone ranger believer, we can grow weary to the point to where, if we're not careful, we disconnect from him. Rather than to plug into him to find the, uh, the feeling that only he can give us. Sometimes it's weariness. Another thing that oftentimes causes us to ultimately come to a place where we are dry in our walks, disconnected from God, is as I mentioned before, just unrepentant sin, unconfessed sin. Now, here's the thing, that if we come to a place to where you've identified today, for example, that, you know what, I've allowed sin to creep into my life. I'm treating it like a family pet. I'm not trying to resist it. I'm not trying to, to distance myself from it, but rather I'm embracing it. God gives us a great promise in 1 John 1, 9, when he says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That when we open our eyes and we lift our heads and we realize, you know what? The reason that I feel so far from God is because of sin. Sin that, that Jesus has already paid for. But I choose to agree with God and say, you know what, Lord? I have become selfish. Or God, I've blown it in this area, that area. And God, I, I confess this to you. Would you fill me with yourself? Would you fill me with your forgiveness? And would you enable me to walk forward again? God will do just that. And he will begin to restore the joy of our salvation. In Psalm chapter 51, King David commits 
uh, adultery. And he begins to, to feel conviction over that about a year later in Psalm 51. As David confesses his sin to God, he, in, in that lengthy, beautiful passage of Psalm 51, he cries out to God, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And maybe for you this morning, if you've realized that I'm dry in my walk with God, I feel such a distance and such a disconnect in my walk with God, and you understand because the Holy Spirit has shown you this morning that there is sin in your life that you've embraced, that you've not pushed aside and confessed to God, as you confess it to him, enable him, allow him rather, to begin to restore to you the joy of your salvation. And choose today to say, you know what, the best that I can, I'm going to walk closely with God in a way, and in a walk that is pure and that gives him ultimately glory. Another reason, as I mentioned earlier, that sometimes we disconnect from God is because of under, misunderstood hardship. We go through a difficulty in our lives, and we assume that God is against us when really he's not. No one felt hardship of this world any more than the person of Jesus. Not just the cross, but rather the ridicule, those that were against him from day one, Opposing him, opposing his claims to be God, closing, opposing the message of the gospel. Jesus understood hardship. And yet it didn't disconnect him from the Father. But rather it caused him to press in even closer. And then for some, sometimes the reason we don't really hear is because perhaps there's no relationship there with God to begin with. It's almost a spiritual deafness, a spiritual blindness. To where God is someone we believe in, but there's no real personal connection. Because we've never come to the place where we've entrusted our lives to the person of Jesus. In the book of Psalms, chapter 85, we see, a, I think, a beautiful picture of what our response should be when we come to a place of disconnect. Psalm chapter 85 is one of the Psalms where it doesn't ascribe a specific individual's name but it's a psalm that often can be found reflected in the words of David or others that wrote in the book of Psalms. Look with me at what it says in Psalm chapter 85. The context here is that this psalm was written more than likely after the return from captivity in Babylon where the people of God's hearts had been broken. They had been chastised. They had been disciplined for their sin. And then look at what the result is. Look at the response. Psalm chapter 85 verse 4. The psalmist cries out and says, Restore us, O God, of our salvation. Cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. You know, it's interesting that at the very beginning of that in verse 4, that there is a cry. You can almost hear the anguish of the cry, a plea. To God, God, would you restore us again? We've been through this hardship. We have turned our backs to you. We have wandered from you. But God, uh, you, you hear the anguish crying out to him, would you restore to us? And sometimes the first step for us to, uh, to begin to hear God again as we once did, to, to, to move from a place of dryness to a place where God is filling us again, is not to try to jump through new hoops or find some new church or new Bible study program or you know, wait for some brand new song to come out. So usually it's none of that. What, what often it is is to come to a place to where we can cry out to God the way that we haven't in a long time and to say, God, I'm a place where I'm dry. I'm in a place where I'm not hearing you. I'm in a place where, where I am I am." A struggling, and God, would you restore to me the joy that I've once had? Would you restore to me that fellowship with you that I've once enjoyed? 
The psalmist here goes on to say in verse 6, will you not revive us, yourself revive us? Again, there's a dependency there to where we can't fix ourselves. We have to fall upon the mercy and the grace of God, crying out to him, God, would you do what only you could do? Could you heal my heart? Could you draw me back to yourself? Could you fill me again? And then at the very end, verse 7, I love it because all of this is tied to the cross. All of it is tied to salvation. And show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. See, it all comes back to the cross. (laughs) It all comes back to the cross where we find forgiveness, where we find hope, where we find love, where we find joy, where we find life. Through salvation, all because of the cross. So this morning, if you take a moment and take inventory of where you are with God, one week out from the celebration of the greatest event in history, Would you say that your walk with God is close or would you say that you have experienced some drift? Maybe because of a hardship you haven't understood. Maybe because of some sin that you've begun to embrace. Maybe because you're weary from walking the walk in a world that doesn't appreciate it. But regardless of the reason, would you be willing today to say, God of my salvation, would you restore to me the joy and the closeness that I've once had with you? Would you draw me back to yourself, back home? Would you fill me with your presence and would you use me as one who's been redeemed to put you on display? With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, no one looking around. The prayer that we offer in faith, God hears and God God responds. And today, if you're at a place where your walk with him is dry, my question is, would you just simply be willing to cry out to him and to say, God, just bring me back to where I've once been with you? If you've never given your life to Christ, there is no better time than today. There's no guarantee for tomorrow for you to to, to pray and to trust your life to Christ, asking him to forgive you and to take over. Asking Jesus to take what he did on the cross and to apply it to your life, paying for your sin and taking over from this day forward. God, we thank you today that you know exactly where we are in our lives. Lord, we can't pull a fast one on you. We can't trick you. We can't put on a fake smile as though everything is where it needs to be and expect that you're going to buy it. Lord, in this room today, I'm sure there are some that have a genuine relationship with you. But God, they have wandered. Lord, they have drifted. And that may be because they've become angry with you over a difficulty in life. And they've not seen you correctly. Lord, they've thought you were against them when really they should be running to you. You felt the sting and the pain of living in a fallen world, Jesus. You walked this walk long before we did. And so God, I pray as well for those maybe who have drifted and who have moved to a place where they can't hear you the way they used to because of some sin in their life. God, help them where they sit today to to just do quick calculation to see is it really worth it to continue in that sin, missing out on everything that they once knew in their fellowship with you and the joy that they had. God, give them the courage to put down that sin today, to confess it to you and to come home. And Lord, for those that have never given their lives to Christ, Lord, I pray that where they sit this morning that your spirit would bring such conviction of their separation from you because of sin. At the same time, 
the beauty of the availability of the gospel, that you stand ready, Jesus, to take over their life if they'll only confess and accept you. And so, God, whatever decisions we need to make, help us to do them. Help us to get them right. And, Lord, may we follow your lead this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.